a new theory. Which game did your founders play? And the ideal conditions for freedom. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent. Oh, <laughs> the French accent. Oh, yes, as well. And you stay for the principles. I gotta add something. Maybe this is 2020. I gotta add a new accent. So I got the Irish, I got the French, the mocking French accent. What accent should I try next? You know, maybe hit me up on Twitter and let me know and I'll, I'll get, I'll get a practicing boy. Um, we got a jam packed show for you today. I want to share a new theory with you today, which I've been working on for a while. And I, it kind of builds on everything we spoke about last week when we, we talked about planting seeds. We want, we spoke about, you know, laying out the case for, for why America is an exceptional nation. And that new theory is not a theory I heard based on politics, not based on principles, not based on history. This theory I heard was based on business. One of the things I try and do, and I'm trying to do badly, is, you know, I read different things, I research, I watch loads of YouTube videos of different people doing speeches and presentations. I watch TED, and I'm trying to figure out a lot of stuff. I'm trying to figure out the world we live in. Am I the only one who's trying to do that? Because I look around so often today and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This just, how can I explain things to you guys that makes it real easy for you so that you can take it and then go talk to other people about it? That's what I see my job as. And then I heard this theory late last year and then I did some more prep on it over Christmas. And I want to share it with you today. And the theory is, know the game you play, the finite or the infinite game. And it's a, it's a video on, on YouTube, which I'd encourage you to go do it. It's done by Simon Sinek. And basically, it's a business theory based on how businesses operate today. And he goes into the rules, you know, where everyone understands what a finite game is. We all play finite games at different times. You know, we all have certain finite things we have to do. Baseball is, you know, prime example of a finite game. You have nine innings. Every who scores the most runs wins. You know, there's agreed upon rules. There's agreed upon rules of you have three strikes. It's four balls. It's a walk. You hit the ball over the fence. It's a home run. You have three outs in an inning. We all agree these rules well in advance. There's also clear an opponent. So it's one team versus another team. Each team has a catcher, a first baseman, a second baseman, you know, so on and so on. These are all agreed upon. Everyone looking from the outset can look at that game and know they are the rules. There's also a time frame involved. Whether it's the nine-inning baseball game or maybe it's a competition. Maybe it's, you know, because we're getting to that period of time again, you know, it's a 162-game regular season. 
It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Whereas, you know, football is 16 games. It's, it's a sprint. You can't have a bad start in football. But we all agree these rules in advance. But we also have the understanding that, you know, sometimes these rules don't always 100% make sense. You know, who gets to call themselves the winner, quote-unquote? Who gets to call themselves the the best? You know, we're the best. Because sometimes the best isn't always the best. And I'm going to give you guys some, you know, something to enjoy as I talk about one of my teams. You know, it was 2007, the New York Giants, big Giants fan. We get to, we got to put our name on the Vince Lombardi trophy that year. Every player and probably coach who coached and was part of that organization and that team that year got a ring. They got their ring, the 2007 Super Bowl champions, baby. We got to beat the Pats. How cool was that? But the record that year, despite us being the champions, despite us winning it all, you know, getting all the adulation, Eli Manning being MVP, we weren't the best team in the league that year. We went 10 and 6. We went 10 and 6 in the regular season, 4 and 0 in the postseason. That year, in case, there, and there's a reason I brought up the 2007 Giants, was because we kind of snuck into the, uh, into the postseason. But, guess what? The Pats that year were 16 and 0 in the regular season. And then 2 and 0 in the postseason when they faced us. They were going for the perfect season. In fact, not only were they going for the perfect season, the Patriots actually beat the Giants the last game of the season in Giants Stadium. Yet they don't have a ring. Yet they don't have their name carved on the Vince Lombardi trophy. We do. Because sometimes the rules don't always make sense. We agree them in advance. We agree them however who's standing at the end of the Super Bowl is automatically deemed the best team. You see this in playoffs all, you know, on a regular basis. The best team doesn't always win. There are times when the best team loses. But we agree upon it because it's all about getting to the postseason. And then if you go all the way, if you are, you know, if you limp into the postseason, you know, with, you know, in baseball terms, you know, maybe 90 wins and you face a team that has 100 wins and you're hot and you beat them, guess what? You're better than them, even though they won more games in the season. They could have whipped you in 3 0 or 6 0 or 9 0 or 12, whatever many games in the, they play in the regular season depending on the opponent, they could, you could have beat them. They could have whitewashed you. doesn't matter. If you get that up World Series and you beat them, you get your ring. They don't. We agree these rules in advance. The infinite game is very different. The infinite game is usually based around you know some type of cause, some type of mission. It's something bigger than yourself. There's not always a clear winner and a loser. You're not playing to win. You're playing to make things better. You also have the understanding that at different times in this journey, you can be winning, you can be ahead, and you can be behind. And it takes real leadership to stir those, keep your, your mission on path. They're not, you know, cause it's so easy to play the infinite game thinking, oh, well, we're doing something bigger and then to slide into that finite game. You need real leadership, real people at the top. To keep you steady going, no, this is what we're in this for. We're in this for something bigger. You know, you saw the rules been broken this week. If you're a sports fan and you follow sports news, 
where it's clear when the finite rules are broken. The Houston Astros are a prime example. They got to say they're the best, but then there's an investigation. They were doing bad things that they shouldn't have been doing, and now all the problems have come out. These are all key to understand the difference between finite and, and infinite rule games and rules. It's all about understanding what game you're playing. When you have a finite rule, a finite game, and this theory goes on talking about business, look at how businesses talk today. Look at how businesses advertise. How we all love to grab attentions by awarding ourselves different things. Just think of some of the businesses that you, you know, frequent. Oh, the best tasting. Best tasting coffee, best tasting hamburger, juiciest hamburger, you know, all these, you know, gra- attention grabbing headlines, which is designed to make you go, Oh, the tastiest coffee, then I'll, I'll go have some of your coffee or the juiciest hamburger. I'll have your hamburger. But what's the criteria? These finite games often dehumanize the individual because we think everyone thinks the same. Oh, well, our burger is the best. On what terms? I may not like your burger. Your burger may be too skinny for me. Your burger may be too fat for me. Your burger may be overcooked for me. We're all different. We all have different taste buds. But we also talk about when businesses talk to us, they kind of go, oh, we're the biggest. Biggest what? How do you measure that? Biggest, you know, exporter, importer, biggest employer. What does that do anything for your product? You know, if you have a hamburger joint or let's say, a, I don't know, a bar of chocolate. And you're the biggest, you know, biggest bar chocolate maker. Does that make your chocolate better automatically? It might be because people buy it because of the price or because that's the most convenient thing or it's the, you know, special offer. It doesn't automatically mean it's the best. You know, I, I can think of many things in worlds, you know, when, especially when it comes to food, you know, the things I buy on a regular basis doesn't mean they're the best. But we all have these criteria. We're number one. You see this in a lot in advertising. Oh, we're number one. Number one in what? Number one of what? Who, who got to set these rules? Does it matter that you're number one? Or that you're the best? Or that you're unique? You know, I could give myself an award. Would anyone care? I could, t- I could say, you know, I'm the, I am the best Irish constitutional loving American you will ever listen to on radio. Would that mean anything to anyone? Would that matter? Would that make people listen to me more? No, but bear in mind, the reason I said that and that gave myself that award is because I'd also be the last on that award because I don't know a whole lot of Irish people who love the Constitution and know the Constitution the way I do. That doesn't make me better. It's just a part of the game. When you're part of finite games, it's all about winning. And this theory goes on to talk about, you know, about how businesses react, how businesses are all about the short term, how businesses are all about the next quarter. Because a lot of business, without getting off topic here, are all based around quarterly results, quarterly earning results on Wall Street. It's not about the long term. Business has fundamentally changed. You know, the old JP Morgan of where they didn't see you for, you know, as a business for a quarter or business for a year. They saw you as a customer for life. They wanted to build that relationship up. And if, you know, your in portfolio went down and or your business went down, they'd be okay with that. 
because they said, well, you may go elsewhere, but we'll be right here waiting for you when you come back. That theory's gone today. Who operates business under that theory? Today, it's all about, well, we got to make sure we hit our revenues for, for, you know, the next quarter. Wall Street gets their earnings. We better make sure they're good. We better make sure we meet expectations or exceed them. It's all about the finite game. But also, it's based so much when you base it on the finite game of what actually winning is. There is no real competition in winning. Because you can always doctor the competition. When you understand the infinite game, you're actually not the, you're not going against the competitor. You're not going against another person or another company. You're racing against yourself. Let me give you an analogy to back this up. If you just wanted to prove yourself as the best runner, it's really easy to do in many ways. Just make sure you handpick your, you know, who you go against. Just make sure you, you handpick who you go up against and make sure you win. And if you win enough races, hey, you're the best. You're the best in your class. Even though your time doesn't matter. Your times could be getting worse. If you keep winning races, it doesn't matter. That's the finite game. It's all about coming first. I don't care who I'm racing. I just need to beat you. The infinite game isn't about beating you. It's about beating your own time. I've always used this analogy, and it's so important to understand. So much of life, and I play, I played a lot of sports. Some of the best games of golf I've played in competitions, and I played a lot of competition, especially when I was younger. Some of the best games of golf I ever played, I lost. But I lost, and I walked off that golf course so happy. I have more memorable feelings of losing a golf game and been happy than I do lo- winning golf games and been miserable. Because it's understanding what role and what game you want to play. If I said to you, you know, you can shoot. I'm trying to think and make this easy for you. If I can, you know, if you can shoot your handicap and gain a couple of shots and lose compared to, you know, been nowhere near your handicap and win, which would you choose? Because it's all about which game you want to play. The finite game is all about winning. If you play crap and win, well, baby, you got the job done. But when you understand that it's not about the finite game, it's about the infinite game, about getting better. Instead of shooting 72, you shoot 71, 70, 69, 68. You keep getting better and better and better. You keep running that, you know, mile in seven minutes and six and a half minutes and six minutes. Ever how long it takes you to run a mile. It's always about getting better. This is the business theory which I wanted to talk to you about. But I want to talk to you about it. They're the basics of it. But I want to talk to you in the, in the history of America. Because I think it's absolutely critical to understand what is happening today. What is happening, what game you're playing today. And historically, what game did your founders play? And what game was your history and your country built on?
Before we continue, I just want to give a big shout out to you guys. Um, I looked at the last year's numbers this week and, you know, I'm always honored, humbled, shocked, amazed, mystified. Um, but, you know, any words you want to put in there that you guys listen to me and invite me into your home every week. I am so grateful for that. Uh, you know, you spend, what, 30 minutes, 40 minutes an hour. Actually, it's me and more like 90 minutes each week where I get to talk to you about something I'm really passionate about, about freedom, about America. You know, in many sense, we're not a big show. You know, we can judge so many ways and impacts of shows. We get between two and 3,000 listeners a week. Some weeks are better, some things are worse. It depends on the topic and, you know, how much you guys share it on social media. I don't care per se about the numbers, but I am always honored that you listen to me each and every week and free. Some of you have been with me since day one. Thank you so much. And I've got a lot of things planned for this year. And it's easy to think that, you know, what number you'd like to grow that to. For me, I don't care about the number. I care about the impact we have. You know, I would rather have 3,000 people listening every week who are looking to question where they find on the issues and question with boldness everything, whether it's God, whether it's the Constitution, whether it's me, whether it's socialism, question everything and find out where they stand on the issues than 20,000 passive listeners who are eh, just listening for the sake of it, but not engaging, you know, not, not thinking not exploring where they stand. My aim is not to build a show bigger in the sense of numbers. My aim is to build a show with your help, bigger in the sense of impact. And that's what we're going to do this year. So I just wanted to give a big shout out, a big thank you to everyone who listens. And if you share this show with your family and your friends, please keep doing it. That's how we'll make a bigger impact. So let's talk about America and American politics. Right now, your culture is based, and I don't know whether you know it or not, but everything is based around the finite game. All you're doing is following a set of rules, and it seems to be based around all about let's win. Look, how many times do you see it? And you're going to start seeing these arguments come out, and I don't know, they might come out as early as next week, or it might be next month, or it might be in the summer sometime. It's all about this election, and you'll hear countless pundits from... I'm sure some, many of my colleagues on the blaze will say this talking point because it's just become so popular. You'll see it on Fox News. You'll see it on MSNBC. You'll see it on CNN. This election is the most important election of your lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's all about winning. It's all about that short term. Look, I'm not here to tell you how to vote. I've said this so many times in case we get this again. I don't care how you vote. Trump, never Trump, Democrat, Republican. I don't care. How you vote when it comes to presidency, how it comes to Congress, how it comes to local state people. I don't care. Go vote ever how you want. Vote your conscience. That's always what I always say. And it will be remain the same always. But whether it's Republican or Democrat, it's always the same message to their base. This election is the most important election. You'll see this from the Republicans whenever the Democrats nominate someone, whether it's Bernie Sanders or whether it's Joe Biden, they'll make it out that Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren is, is the greatest threat to American conservatism, American freedom since I don't know when. 
You'll see this with our friends on the left. Oh my God, you just have to vote. Yes, you may not like Bernie or Joe, ever who the nominee is, but Trump is such a danger to our democracy, even though, spoiler alert, you're not a democracy, that you have to vote for them. It's all about this election. It's all about this election. And then guess what? 2020 will come and pass, come and go. And then it gets to 2022. And this is the most important election of our lifetime. And then it'll get to 2024 and it'll be presidential. Oh my God, I'm tired already just thinking about that. I just, I just basically blew over four years of our life. This is, this is part of the problem in the world. We just blow everything by. But 2024 will be the most important election. It's all about the short term. That's what finite games do. But also when you're based on winning, you will also find a principle or an emotion that goes hand in hand with the finite game. And that principle is rationalization. Look, we had to do this because of A, B, and C. You'll see this in business. Look, we had to take that order from that person. Just because we had to meet our demand. We had to meet our supply. We had to meet our quota. And we couldn't afford not to take that order. Or you see it more and more and more. You know, one of the most famous examples of, you know, capitalism gone wrong, in my opinion, was Citibank several years ago, where in the exact same quarter, they hit two records. Record earnings. Yay, that's great, right? Record layoffs record layoffs and you have that rationalization where we just had to let a load of people go yes screw their mortgage and screw everything about them and even if they did a good job we had to let them go because of numbers to hit our margin to hit our earnings figures to hit our profitization figures so wall street wouldn't downgrade us so we wouldn't our share price wouldn't tank because our estimates were wrong all you see in short term and rationalization is you will justify anything because of, hey, you have, you have to win. I get this all the time, bringing this back to your politics. I get this all the time. Well, look, you know, shh, shouldn't say that about Trump or, or don't say that about the Republican Party, John. Why is it, is, am I saying something that's false? No, no, you're helping the enemy. You're helping the Democrats. You saw this this week, which I don't really want to discuss because I, I, I will literally lose my mind, where you had Republicans literally mocking other Republicans for saying, you know what, when people go to war, when America goes to war, it has to be authorized in Congress. Where they were literally touting on places like Fox News, Republicans like Sarah Sanders, going, you know, this should be all with the president, nobody else. Is that constitutional? No, but that's the way it should be. I don't know whether Sarah, uh, Sarah Sanders' opinion or many others who were on Fox News and different stations, I don't know their opinion on the Constitution or foreign policy. It's irrelevant for this conversation. But they'll rationalize anything. Because all it is is about winning. It's about getting what they need to do now. It's likewise in your foreign policy. It's always been about a finite game in your foreign policy. You look at people like, oh, the hawks of John McCain. John McCain in Syria taking pictures with the rebels was pro-Assad, was anti-Assad, is pro-Assad. It goes all about the finite game. You saw this this week with Joe Biden. Joe Biden had the gall and the audacity to say on that debate about how great he was as the caliphate. When he worked for the administration to call him the JV squad? Are you serious? Yeah, because it's all about a finite game. 
It's all about winning. If we need to mock them and call them the JV squad when I'm in power, absolutely. If I need to take credit for, you know, being part of the administration, even though he wasn't part of the administration, but, you know, let's not let facts get in the way of a good story there, Uncle Joe, right? Or sorry, not Uncle Joe, middle class Joe, because that's what folks call you, isn't that right? Or no, that's not, that's not even it. It's Lunch Bucket Joe, isn't that right? You've got so many nicknames. Gee, I keep forgetting. Um, it's like I'm almost like your age. I keep forgetting. It's, you know, it's just I'm getting forgetful. But that's what you have. Your foreign policy is all about the finite game. It's all about what shall we do now. You see this countless, countless times, especially in the Middle East. It's all short-term booking. It's all, hey, what do we need to do now? What gets us over this hump? If you look at your history, you know, people are too so critical of me, kind of going, hey, you're always so optimistic, John. You're always so, America's awesome, and America's brilliant, and America's exceptional, and blah, 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 blah. When, tell me stuff that America sucks at. Okay, great, foreign policy. Read your history of the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 50 years, and just look at the amount of people at one point you armed, and then they used those arms on your on your soldiers. Why is that? Now, part of it is a lot of appeasement by bad presidents and bad administrations and bad congresses, sure. But it's continuous because you're all about the short term. It's all about the short term. Hey, you, you have, you don't like this person. We don't like this person. Let's give you arms. Not long term thinking where, hmm, they don't like us. Now, just because they don't like them, we, who we also don't like, maybe we shouldn't be friends with them. I would have thought a lot of people learned this lesson in World War II, where, oh, the Russians are our friend. They're, we're, they're fighting Germany, too. Mm-hmm. Russians are not your friends. Some people still need that memo. Russia is not your friend. PewDiePie is not a good guy. Iran is not a good actor. But it's all about the finite game. Now, when you look at your history, let's look at your founding fathers. What role and what game were they playing were they playing all about winning were they playing all about just getting ahead were they talking about being the best and being the biggest and making america great if i may use the catchphrase of the day make america great or keep america great was that the founder's vision nope was the founder's vision some finite game about hey let's just get in a game of war with england and let's just beat the crap out of england Nope. Your founders were so incredible men that they were a selection of men who didn't actually play the finite game, which so many other countries did when it came to revolutions and when it came to independence. Ireland played the finite game of revolution. We just wanted to beat the crap out of the English and get them out of our country. So many other countries have done the same thing against England. Let's just get Britain out. I've said this time and time again. The Irish Revolution was not a revolution about freedom. It was about home rule. The problem wasn't the policies that the king and the queen and the monarch had over in Ireland all those years. The problem wasn't the principles. The problem wasn't the tyranny. The problem was that they were ruled by an Englishman and they were Irishmen. And they felt that they needed to be ruled by an Irish man. Well, if I'm going to be ruled by a tyrant, I don't really care by, about his nationality, nor do I care about his race, his creed, or his religion, or his sexuality, or his genitalia, or anything else. I'd rather just not be ruled by anyone, period. 
The American founding fathers, your principles, were not based on the rules of the finite game. Your founding fathers did not play that game. They played the infinite game. They played the game not to win, but to be better. The game wasn't about beating Britain. The game was about setting man free. The revolution was as much about against Britain and getting Britain out as it was getting rid of government, about getting rid of tyranny, about getting rid of control. Your founding fathers had that just cause. They had the just cause to set it up and they had the proof of it. In case you're sitting there going, going, how can you say all this, John? How, How can you prove this? Is this just your theory or is this something you can prove? The proof is the Declaration of Independence. It is your mission statement. It is an amazing mission statement that more people should hear on a daily basis. That mission statement that says, this is who we are. And for the places we are not quite like this, this is who we seek to be. Because I know people, when I say that, this is who we are, automatically go, well, John, that's not true. Because, John, you know, they wrote all men are created equal. And, John, George Washington had slaves. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. We have dealt with this issue ad nauseum in the past. But it is who you sought to be. It is that mission statement. That mission that says all men are created equal. And what annoys the hell out of me is the people who will point out the founder's slave record to me. That, oh, well, they didn't really believe in equality. Will then tout Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and all the Democrats and some Repu- a good chunk of Republicans who believe that government today has some type of role to control you. Who has some type of role in thinking they know what's best for you. Oh, but yeah, all men are created equal. Yeah, you believe that, right? Where is the moral right to control people? Your founding fathers set out a mission statement. And when you understand the finite game, it's about a mission bigger than yourself. It's about a cause. It's about something bigger than yourself. Your founding fathers were unique. Not because of what they did. Everyone can fight a revolution. What makes your founding fathers unique because... They sacrificed everything. You know, uh, your revolution is so amazing. I wish more Americans knew about it. Because your revolution was the exact opposite to every other revolution in the history of the world that man has ever seen. You see, man has always seen revolution start with the lower parts of society. And when I say lower parts, let me be crystal clear. I don't mean the, the, the lower class and, you know, all those people. No, I don't mean that. I don't even mean the poor. I just mean the people who have the least to lose and everything to gain by winning a revolution, by fighting a dictator, because their lives are so impoverished. Their lives are so filled with tyrannical governments that they have no hope. Their only hope is to risk absolutely everything. It's literally getting all your life savings, going to Nevada, going into that casino and putting on red or black and saying, I'm all in, baby. And yes, you might win or yes, you might lose. But you've nothing else to do. There's nothing else to, you know, it's, it's, you've basically got no, nothing really to lose. Your founding fathers had everything to lose. They had power. They had 
possessions. They had money. They had stature in society. You know, you look at, we've told these stories in the past. There was judges who were well respected by both sides of the aisle who signed that Declaration of Independence. They risked everything. Some of your founding fathers had their lands looted, had their wives kidnapped and raped, their daughters kidnapped and raped, lost their jobs. They lost absolutely everything. Why? Because they were not playing the finite game. They were playing the infinite game. And we have benefited from it. Everyone needs to understand what game they're playing. I don't know what game you're playing. And if you're playing a different game to me, that's okay. This doesn't make us winners or losers or enemies or friends. It's just important to look around at society today and ask yourself, what game are you playing? Because I want to talk to you about one other point, a criticism I get from my libertarian friends and I got last week. Just on a side point. Why do I always salute at the end of every show the police, the firefighters, the emergency personnel and the vets? Why do I do that every show? Surely, John, someone who's as freedom-loving as yourself should understand they're only oppressors. Let me address this real quick. Because it's key to understand the game we play in. Do I agree with every foreign policy decision America makes? <laughs> Not even close. I've, I would say I disagree. I agree. I disagree with vast, vast majority of your foreign policy decisions. Sorry, it's just the way it is. I think your foreign policy has been wrong for the last 30 years. But I see so much bravery in the soldiers, in the police, because they are playing an infinite game. You know, if you look around at, you know, your police, are some police bad? Yeah, absolutely. When police are bad, I'll be the first one there saying, you're bad apple, get out. Or you need to face justice. This isn't just, hey, you have a badge, you get away with it. But they also need to understand, it's not about winning and losing with them. It's about the infinite game of keeping peace. It's about the infinite game of understanding the mission that you're serving other people. It's not about being the best cop or the, the, you know, the number one or the biggest cop or the baddest cop or whatever, you know, analogy you want to use about your police department. It's not about selling anything. It's about being a server. It's about protecting other people and knowing that if you have at the end of your shift, no one died on you or nothing bad really happened. It's a good day. It's the same in the military. I don't agree with your foreign policy in a lot of occasions. But the men and women who just want to have a better tomorrow, who are willing to risk their lives to go over to different places, that deserves respect, in my opinion. We can judge the, the policies on, on a totally different scale. But my respect for your troops will always be there. And this show, no matter where I am or who I am or what I'm doing or how big or small I am, this show will always proudly stand with your troops, with your police. Because we need to look around today and ask ourselves, what game do you want to play? Because we need to have that conversation about finite and infinite games. Because the American experiment that I know is not based on finite games. It's based on the infinite game. Because of what your founders did. 
But also, to those who say, oh, America is a Christian nation. Well, then let me ask you a question. Christianity, is that based on the finite game or is that based on the infinite game? You know, Gandhi had a great quote once. The Bible is a great book. It's an awful pity Christians don't read it. Christianity is nothing but an infinite game of doing better, of helping others. It's the prime example of what an infinite game is. Sometimes you're ahead, sometimes you're behind. But it's not about winning, it's about doing the right thing. Just something to think about this weekend. What game are you playing? But after you ask yourself, what game are you playing? Ask yourself, what game do you want to play going forward? Do you want to play the the finite game of politics and all about winning because this election is the most important one? Or do you want to talk about something bigger? About a mission statement? About who you are as a people and who you're going to be as a people? a new show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Welcome to all new listeners. If you're just listening for the first time, we're on all major platforms. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Spotify, OmniFM, CastBox, you name it, we're there. Look for Freedom's Disciple, hit subscribe. Also, if you happen to listen on Apple, please leave us a rating and review. It helps the algorithm. Apple is by far our biggest platform. So, Thank you to everyone who has left a rating and review, but please continue to do so. I want to talk to you from the heart, and I want to ask you an honest question. Of everything I've just spoken to you about. If you're listening to this show, you are either very supportive of the views I have, or you're at least curious about, hey, what what is this Irish guy talking about freedom all the time for? So I'd ask you a question. I think it's clear to anyone who knows me that I'm not playing a finite game here. I'm playing the infinite game. I don't think I've ever been ahead of anyone. Probably been behind my whole life. That's okay. But I mean everything I say. I am who I say I am. I'm not here to be a messiah or to say how awesome I am. I'm my own biggest critic. But I want to just place analogy and ask you a question about everything I believe. This is not about me. This is about the principles I believe, your founding principles. And let's transport those principles from the infinite game that your founders played to the finite game. And I would ask you to think about that and go, what are the conditions you need to make that the finite game? What are the conditions and the elections you need? Who are the opponents you need to face where you're going to talk about freedom? 
You're going to talk about the individual. You're going to talk about the constitution and limited government. And you're not going to do it to for the infinite game because you're trying to make something bigger or that's your cause or that's your mission or painting a brighter tomorrow. You're literally doing it for the finite purposes of winning another election. What does that election look like? What does that election look like? What does that a political opponent have to do to get that happening? Does it need to be a more moderate person? You know, would you run this campaign against a Joe Lieberman? And if you're a young person, you probably have never heard of Joe Lieberman. I'm showing my age, but yes, I am bald. Who would you run it against? Who's the most moderate Democrat you can think of today? Would you run it against them? Who's the most extreme Democrat? Would you run it against them? What conditions do you need to have to run those principles as a finite game, literally to win an election? The reason I ask this question is because I really want to know the answer. Because how do you make freedom cool? How do you make freedom popular? How do you make freedom a case of, you know what? It's, it's the right thing to do, but it's not also the moral right thing to do. We need to build a case to win this election, and freedom is the way. What is the answer? Because so many times elections are all based around something small or maybe something big, but it's a very polarized issue. And so many times... What that issue is becomes irrelevant. You know, so many times presidents have had a certain event happen to them. The most famous, I would argue, would be George Bush. You know, I remember, because I I remember the Bush versus Gore election was my first, you know, intro into your politics. And I remember forget the biggest, one of the biggest fears that Americans and Europeans had when George Bush won was something that was so ridiculous First of all, it was physically impossible. But the biggest fear back then was that he was such an isolationist, he would build literally a concrete wall across the Atlantic. And that the relationship between America and Europe would hit an all-time low. And that it would not prosper. That was the fear. That George Bush only cared about America. Then, then September 11 happened. And look how quickly his presidency changed. So many times elections are about stuff that we only deem important, but really are they? I ask this question because we are facing so many issues as a world today that when are they ever going to be addressed? I was listening to a Ronald Reagan speech this weekend. And the frightening thing about that Ronald Reagan speech, and by the way, this is a speech from the 1960s when he wasn't even governor of California yet. He wasn't not only governor, that means he wasn't didn't run for president, didn't win presidency. So this shows you how long ago. This is the 1960s. And the thing that really frustrated me and upset me a bit was Ronald Reagan could give that speech today and a lot of the problems he talks about are still apt. He spoke about foreign aid, 
been a problem, you know, giving money to the enemy. He spoke about our debt. He spoke about the economy. He spoke about rules and regulation. He spoke about burdensome government. He spoke about education and Harvard and delinquency. He spoke about drugs. He spoke a load of different things. He spoke about, you know, an overarching government. I literally listened to that speech and kind of go, that's still relevant, that's still relevant, that's still relevant, that's still relevant, that's still relevant. There was very little in that speech that actually wasn't relevant. So how can a person who's running for, you know, I don't think he was running for president when he gave this speech, but before he ran for president in the 1960s, give a speech that he could give in 2020 and every problem is still relevant. Why is that? And what are we going to do to fix it? You see, I run around all this week. All the media over here is a buzz about the royal royal crisis. <gasps> oh my God, the media is so clever. It's got Megxit. Oh, you see what they did there? They had Brexit and then they put Meg in front of it because it's Megan leaving the, the royal family. He <laughs> was so clever. Oh, and I went. I paid a lot of money for a four-year degree in marketing to come up with Megxit. And now, oh, sorry, hashtag Megxit. That's what we're talking about. Look at what you're talking about in your country. This week, and going forward, we'll have the dog and pony show that is the Senate, that is impeachment, and that is the trial. Now, I've been very vocal in the past about I think there should be a trial, and I think the Republicans should go to town on it. Do I have the same fears that you do that the Republicans will ultimately blow it? Absolutely. But it still is the right thing to do. To do your best to, hey, let's offer a defense. Don't just have this show vote. That will just destroy your country, I think. But that's going to be the dog and pony show. Where is the actual discussion about real principles? Let me talk to you about some issues that are going on in your country right now. Your debt. I know I bore everyone when I talk about their debt, but a 23 trillion, you got to wake up at some point, guys, and go, you know what? We are American. We are exceptional. We are unique. Yes, we are awesome, but the laws of economics are going to catch up and it's going to hurt us real bad. Your constitution. What part of the constitution actually means anything today? Look at all the things that are going on around the world. Look at all the things that Putin is grabbing more power. I love the media spinning it over here. Well, he's, he seems to be giving power to other people. Maybe, maybe he's learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because PewDiePewts learns a lot of lessons. You look at Iran. Iran literally threatened Europe this week. Said, oh, you don't want to touch us because Europeans will die. You look at North Korea. You look at the situation over there. What is happening in the world? Are things getting better? Are things getting worse? What is the answer? You see, I look at the world and then I look at America. And I see the solution being the same thing. And maybe I'm wrong on this, but I, I, this is what I firmly believe. And maybe we just disagree. The world is crying out for an infinite game of principles. It's crying out for freedom it's crying out for the principles of nature's law and nature's god i look around at this democratic field and i'm going to get political for a minute i look at this democratic field running for president because that's the only election everyone ever talks about oh who's running for president 
Well, it was an easier question a couple of weeks ago and a couple of months ago to ask answer. Who's not running for president? Because the field is that big. You even have people like Wayne Messam run, and everyone was like, who the hell is Wayne Messam? I don't know exactly who is Wayne Messam, and why is he running for president? I felt like I should, I felt obliged nearly to run. I was like, well, why not? You know, maybe America should have someone who understands the Constitution running for president. How awesome would that be? It might, that might be a curveball. We use baseball season coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'll start using baseball analogy. Me running for president talking about the Constitution, that would be a curveball. Imagine that. Or even better yet, if you know, because we all love kicks and giggles and lots of fun on this show. How about me being on the Democratic debate stage with all of them? Now, that would be fun. That would be fun. I would get killed and lynched by the candidates themselves. They would charge Charles Sumner me in seconds. But it sure would be fun while it lasted. Oh, socialism is wonderful. Socialism is wonderful. Yes, Bernie. Let's talk about socialism. Let's talk about the history of socialism. But that's... That's a, that's a different, that's a different show. I look at this democratic field and I look at it and kind of go, wow. No one is even remotely good. Like if Joe Biden, who sounds boring, disinterested and is like 110 years old, you've Bernie Sanders, who is the old revolutionary about, oh, Russia and Soviet Russia is my <gasps> Soviet Russia. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But I'm a Jew. Don't know how that works, but hey, who had a heart attack, who's 150 years old. You have Elizabeth Warren, who, I'm an Indian, I'm a Native American. Go prove it. Oh, well, I'm 1,000 and 1,024 Native American. Yeah, no, you're not a Native American. The Irish guy who does a show on The Blaze is more Native American than you are. Who else have you got? Julian Castro? Oh, he pulled out. Cory Booker? He pulled out. Amy Klobuchar? Uh, Who? What? This week talking about, you know, let's do more government non-profits and healthcare. I look at these people and I'm like, these are all crazy. If now is not the time to talk about freedom, when is? When is the time to actually be bold? When is the point in time where you literally go, now, go, freedom, talk about it now, non-stop? Or do we just want to continue mocking everyone? Because I know so many people, it's just cool just to, oh, the left are so crazy. Oh, the left are so bad. Oh, the left are so hideous. Yeah, they are. No disagreement. No disagreement here. But what are what is the right doing? I started this out by asking you, what situation do you have to play the finite game where freedom is what you promote? The Constitution is what you promote. I'd ask you this weekend if you were any way political. Maybe it's time to make freedom really cool and part of this election. Because I would ask you some questions to ponder this weekend. Is the Constitution cool? Does the Constitution have a place in America in 2020? And don't just have the token gesture. Oh, yes, of course it does, John. Of course, we're the Constitution. No, I mean, actually think about it. Because there's parts of the Constitution people don't like today. Article 2 power is the easiest one. And this is not a slam on Donald Trump. This has nothing to do with Donald Trump. This is a hundred year war. And I would argue longer. But who, what American likes Article 2? Where they kind of go, you know what? The presidency has no official power. Commander in chief. Yes. Sign legislation. Yes. 
veto legislation, yes. But all legislative powers are in Congress, yes. But Congress is partly run by Nancy Pelosi. It doesn't say all powers should be in Congress when you like the leader of the House or the leader of the Senate. It says all legislative powers are in the Congress. Good leader, bad leader, it doesn't matter. There is no asterisk there. Does the Constitution have a place? Does the idea of federalism have a place? Does the idea of states' rights, that the federal government comes together and has 18 clauses in Section 8, sorry, Section 1, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. There are 18 things the federal government can do, 18 clauses. Everything else is left for the states. Is that popular today? Would we accept the federal government not doing much? Would we accept all these things that the federal government thinks it needs to do, not doing them? And been up to the part where the states might go, eh, no, I don't feel like it. Or been in the state where it's like Texas, where they meet every two years. Where, oh, we need to get this done. Well, sorry, Congress is out of legislation. Come back in a couple of years when it's back in session. Would we be okay with that? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. And these are the questions we need to start asking other people. Do we have a right to control other people? Do we have a right to morally tell other people what's best for them? And then legislate that through our political party because we're only acting out of compassion, you know. We're we're only doing what is right. Do we have that right? Or do people have an inalienable right to say, you know what, I've born an individual, I may make mistakes, but it is up to me to make those mistakes and pay the consequences of said mistakes if I make them. These are the questions we need to start asking ourselves. But also we need to ask ourselves about foreign policy. And ask ourselves, which game do you want to play? The finite game or the infinite game? Because the finite game is always about the short term, what's rational, and what is deemed realistic. I am so tired and sick and so tired of hearing Americans tell me what's realistic in America. I am so sick to that of looking at how America acts about what is reasonable, what is realistic, and what is possible. You are literally a country which took on England. Everything is possible. You are a country that went to the moon. Everything is possible. You are a country that overcame slavery. Everything is possible. You are a country which through your people, through your innovation, through your creativity, literally changed the world we lived in, in 200 short years, more in that 200 years than the prior 6,000. So don't talk to me about what is realistic, what is possible. Everything is possible. I say this because of who you are, but I also say this because, again, you talk about being a Christian nation. You talk about, oh, we're a Christian nation. Grace. Then start acting like it. Because when you have God, and when you're on the side of God, anything is possible. Miracles can happen. I've spoken this so many times in the past, but the analogy I want to finish up this part of the show with it, America is like the Statue of Liberty. That is... Of all the things, and I don't like the French, because, you know, France is France, and I'm a lot closer to it. It's a long way away for you guys. France is 19 miles off on my coast. France is my Cuba. 
in more ways than you know. But I look around at the Statue of Liberty, and I see the Statue of Liberty, and that's the one thing France ever got right. You, we are the beacon of hope for the world. You have your principles held tight. Are you going to start sharing them with the world? Because we have opportunities in front of us right now. We literally have the opportunity in front of us where we can literally overnight be a better world, be a safer world, be a more prosperous world. We can't see change. The idea, if you'd said to me two years ago, it's even possible, maybe not, maybe two more, maybe longer than two, four years ago. If you said to me in 2015, 2016, it's possible to have a peaceful Iran. Where with major regime change, I would have said, I don't see it. Don't think so. That would take colossal effort and a, a desire for freedom to be popular. You are now at that point where the people in Iran are rising up, are demanding regime change. I love, I love America and I love your people. But sometimes I don't think you know how good you have it. And how blessed you are. And I wonder, would your people today be winter soldiers if it was really necessary? I saw a hashtag this week that said refund Warren. And I saw all my friends on the right going, oh, if you want to see some liberal tears, go to this hashtag, baby. It's so funny. And just read all the comments. Demanding a refund for Elizabeth Warren for what she did to Bernie Sanders. That's what you're revolution quote-unquote is like would you have the balls to live in iran want a better tomorrow and have the balls to go out and go protest that government knowing if you're caught you'll be killed and maybe your family will be hurt as well there's they gotta send a strong message that dissent and dissension is not welcome in iran would you have the courage to do that would you have the balls would you have the gall but here we are We have that opportunity in front of us. We have that opportunity. And it's up to us as people to say, we stand with the Iranian people. It's also up to governments, which sadly your government failed to do this week. Where Nancy Pelosi, oh, we're going to stand up and we need to stand up to Donald Trump because he is the greatest threat. Whatever she said, whatever bullcrap spews out of her mouth. Yeah, it came to passing a resolution in the House to say, we stand with the Iranian people. We will be on the right side of history. No, no, we can't have that vote. We can't have that vote. We cannot have that vote in the US House. What game do you want to play? I'm okay with whichever game you want to play, finite or infinite. But what point do we have to get to where we talk about freedom again? Because I look around and I see major opportunities ahead of us. I see major changes coming to our world. We used to have a debate in the Tea Party about ending the Federal Reserve. There's a point in time, maybe it's five years, maybe it's ten, maybe it's twenty, where the Federal Reserve with things like Bitcoin, with cryptocurrencies, where it doesn't matter what the Federal Reserve does. It's Bitcoin. Federal Reserve is irrelevant. We have that potential with technology through innovation. 
The question always boils down to, and it's the understanding the secret sauce of America, of those ideals your founders said. The creativity and individual genius is in man. Do you want to unleash it or not? Because I'll always be on the side of unleashing the individual. These are the things we need to make cool again. These are the things we need to start discussing again. And these are the things we need to start winning again. But we also need to be loyal to them, understanding that sometimes America won't want to hear about the Constitution. America won't want to hear about freedom. America won't want to hear about unleashing the individual. That there will always be times where socialism becomes cool again, like it is now. But you still start stay the course. You still keep fighting. Because... Yet again, I remind you, you're a Christian nation, or that's what you claim to be, especially all my friends on the right. Well, guess what? The message of freedom is similar to the message of Christ. It's not always popular. And sometimes the messenger is not respected in his own hometown or in his own family. But that message still must be delivered because the principles of freedom, the principles of nature's law and nature's God, the principles enshrined in your family are the exact same principles that are enshrined in the Bible. They do not change. They do not alter. They do not falter. They do not become, whether they're popular or unpopular, they do not change. They are consistent. They are as steady and as solid as stone, as granite. Which course do you choose? Which path do you choose? What battleground are you going to fight on? Until next week, America, we salute our your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets, all the men and women who risked our lives 24-7 for a brighter and better tomorrow. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never ever forget, America is great. Because Americans are good. You're not great because of Trump or Obama or Democrats or Republicans. You're great because of each and every one of you in sharing your individualism, sharing your creativity, sharing your brilliance. That is who your country is. That is what your country has unleashed. And let us work and have a brighter and better tomorrow. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.